I'm Matthew. I'm Marty. I'm Carlos. And we are the Heroes 3. Welcome to Heroes 3, the bi-weekly podcast where three friends explore the best, worst, and everything in between in the world of Asian cinema. And this week we are continuing our look at Hong Kong in Hollywood with 1990s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, directed by Steve Barron. And our uh, our kind of our Hong Kong connection this week is the production company, um, which is Golden Harvest, which is kind of nuts. Because this is probably the Golden Harvest movie that the most people have seen oh. in the West. <laughs> sure, yeah, uh, that's probably true. You know, maybe maybe some of the the Bruce Lee movies, but this is definitely up there. Dude, it's crazy. <laughs> you have to imagine if you were reading like Variety or the Hollywood Reporter back in the day when this is in production, there must have been so many naysayers in Hollywood, right? It's like. What do you mean? It's like, first of all, this crazy fad that the kids are liking, like this isn't going to last. And what a stupid idea, that title. And you're seriously going to like have that old Bruce Lee movie studio collaborate with some of the Jim Henson TV people and they hardly have any budget and there's like no name stars in it. But (laughs) I don't know. It's it's one of my favorite like cinema success stories for me personally. It's like, I I just, I root for this movie every time and somehow it's like so much more than the sum of its parts. And I don't know, it's this great little cinema relic. I feel like I can't think of another comic adaptation or like hot IP adaptation that really holds its own as it's like, it's a piece of cinema and it is for kids and it, and it did work for kids, but it also is, it's not really a very childish film. Right. And I feel like this, this can fail so often. Um, I feel like the notorious uh, Super Mario Brothers movie, you know, with Bob Hoskins <laughs> and John Leguizamo is a kind of example of like how this kind of thing can go so wrong. Yeah. And I don't know for, for me and I know for like, you know, a generation of folks, it's like, this is just really hitting the spot and honestly you you don't have so much of what works in this movie without this hong kong connection yeah it's funny watching it i was thinking like you obviously you know there's not a whole lot behind like like actual like personnel that like we're familiar with behind the scenes like directly like doing action and stuff but you can kind of, like it kind of has the vibe of some of those golden harvest movies we love yeah. in a lot of spots like it has the that has like the you know like like the way some things are shot the way it's kind of paced and, and everything it, it you know it's 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 really neat and that that whole like it's silly but not necessarily for kids but kids would still enjoy it like, oh, I feel like a lot of our our kung fu movies that we love so much are very like they're not meant for kids, but kids would still love them if they saw it. Yeah, no, totally. That's well said. I mean, and I mean, I remember kind of vividly being in the theater for this and really it feeling like, oh, I'm like watching like a th- thriller with my parents. Like this is like an adult movie, but it's, you know, a subject I care about. And so I'm going to kind of like watch up to the 
to the movie a little bit. We should say, and I think we've mentioned it before, but actually Brandy Yun of the Yun clan yeah. is involved in the choreography here, along with um, you know, some other folks. There's uh actually Pat Johnson, who we I think briefly kind of mentioned during our Bruce Lee arc. He's kind of the American dude who is also kind of credited on the action side. Yeah, and I, I think he does show up in Enter the Dragon. There's a scene where uh, Roper is kind of being strong, strong-armed because he owes money. And the, the guy that's speaking, the kind of, he's like, Come on, fellas. It's the dough, Roper, or we gotta break something. You got it? That's that's Pat Johnson. And um, Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You Yeah, there's so many different angles like all these different people like from different corners that came together to put this movie together and it, it it's something like we were talking about with Bloodsport where you're like man I can't believe this like just ended up working so well um cuz uh, yeah the the director um Steve Barron yeah yeah he had a music video background yeah yeah he actually he, directed Billy Jean yeah, and Billie Take Jean. on Me yeah yeah yeah, yeah, and um, he he had also worked with Jim Henson on Jim, he- Jim Henson's Storyteller. Ditto the uh, cinematographer, John Fenner, who mm-hmm. doesn't really have many credits, but yeah, they were kind of a team on uh, some Storyteller episodes. Yeah, so um, originally when they're trying to fish around this film, everybody was being really wary of it because, um, and I mentioned Masters of the Universe uh, during our Bloodsport episode too, but um, that movie was uh, pretty much a failure. And uh, now all the movie studios were like, no, 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 we don't want to do anything like this. So because all these major studios weren't uh, taking a bite, they actually uh, were able to wrangle Golden Harvest in a joint venture with New Line Cinema. And um, and New Line Cinema was like nothing at this point. Like, right. This isn't quite the New Line Cinema that would make like Lord of the Rings and stuff. Like, right, this is right. A much smaller and scrappier New Line. Right. And there was a guy at Golden Harvest named Tom Gray uh, at the time who was kind of like the kind of guy that would like secure finances like in international like markets. And um, I mean, he was... Like part of the reason that like Cannonball Run one and two, Jackie Chan in uh, the Big Brawl, he he had his hands in all of that. And actually, um, I know we were talking a little bit off uh, at 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 one point about that um, the TMNT the the two thousand seven that that oh, yeah, the, the CG, CG. film yeah. 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 Um, he would go on to work with Imagi Studio, the the people that do that. So I think in a lot of ways, thanks to this film, that that film ended up happening too. But um, he was the guy that kind of like was like, "All right, we we'll, we'll figure this out. We'll we'll do uh, Ninja Turtles." And I mean, with Golden Harvest fronting that money, that gave him a little bit of a budget to kind of put more effort in. And then, like, yeah, like we said too, the Jim Henson side too. Um, yeah, Jim yeah. Henson Studios. They were able to make these really great suits, and uh, with these animatronic heads. That I mean, honestly, you hear all of these horror stories about. It was hot. They were filming in North Carolina, and um, actually, I think uh, they were filming in some of the same spaces that they did end up filming that Super Mario movie. And um, <laughs> <laughs> but they talk about you know not being able to really like breathe almost in these things and there's all these servos in the head to control the animatronics 
So um, they also had like these uh, basically like headphones with like like commands coming in and like the outside audio piping in. So it was like really hard to just kind of do your thing in the suit. And I mean, when you see it in the movie, they look awesome. I mean, yeah, um, honestly, it's like some of the best suit performances you can imagine. I mean, partially because it's like, there's this high bar of having to do this like Hong Kong style, you know, Kung Fu choreography. And especially as you, um, you know, I would say kind of the two major set pieces in terms of like turtle fights is um, at April's antique shop and then at like at the rooftop at the end of the film. And God, I mean, it's amazing what some of these stunt performers are doing in the suits. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah, it's each each turtle was like a, a team of people doing this. So you had right. the suit actor you had the stunt performer actor who was also in a suit for the action. You had puppeteers controlling the the heads, and then you would have somebody else doing the, the voices. Voice actors, ultimately. Yeah. And uh, Splinter was a puppet, like a you know complete puppet, where they didn't have a suit actor. Yeah, it's all. Speaking of Jim Henson connection, you've got Kevin Clash. Um, yep. Yeah, Kevin Clash has Splinter, Splinter, famously mm-hmm. Elmo and Baby Sinclair from Dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah i love them not the mama <laughs> so um and also like it, also a show that had crazy animatronic yeah, suits so good right and the fact that i think steve Barron uh had already worked with henson it kind of gave him an idea of how the best way to shoot this would be so you end up with a film that looks a lot darker and that makes everything look a lot better if they were like in the daytime doing cartwheels and stuff, you would end up with something that would look more like a tokusatsu show. Yeah. And um, I yeah, think well that put. the the overall tone of the movie serves the, the effects a lot more. And um, this is right around the same time that Batman came out. I think they were kind of in production around the same time. And um, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's just, funny because like at, uh, at the time, uh, like, as a kid, like going from 89 to 90, uh, it felt like, yeah, we were in kind of like a similar neighborhood, just like tonally. But I've got to say, I mean, I have nothing but love for, you know, Tim Burton's Batman film and for Batman Returns. But going back and actually like engaging with it now, I actually think like Turtles is the film that's like, that aesthetically hangs together a little stronger in terms of this like dark, gritty tone I agree with you. Um, there, 100%. there are a lot of kind of campier, goofier choices in the production design, which again, I think are cool, but it's not necessarily, I think how the Burton Batman films are remembered. And yeah, I don't know. I, I've really got to give Steve Barron a lot of credit. I mean, not a super huge filmography and definitely not a household name, but it's not just that he's able to work with these puppets really well like you were saying, Matthew, it's like this action stands alongside great Hong Kong films. And it's, it's another reason I think to, that we're including this movie in our arc, because I would say famously um, Hollywood and Western directors when attempting to do their own brand of chop sake, they would usually get some of the major moves wrong in terms of like staging camera editing right it's like either getting too close to the action cutting too often Mm -hmm. camera angles that 
really don't work in two dimensions or, or three dimensions. So he's really nailing that. He's um, finding the most convincing ways to kind of shoot the suits, but also just the, the whole tone, the feel of the film. I think it really evokes the the Eastman and Laird comics. Like if you ever look at those, they're like these kind of grittier, independent, black and white comics, um, which it, I feel like they're like one foot in yeah they're one the, fan of the 80s. you know how to draw comic yeah. the the marvel way <laughs> but then also a lot more kind of like counterculture and i would say yeah. darker and i feel like yeah his camera is i don't know is is really tasteful in that way also want to give a major shout out to john duprez also not a household name um, but the composer of this film and actually the other two live action turtle films uh he he really kind of cut his teeth actually with Monty Python originally. Like he worked oh. with Eric Idle on a lot of that music. Huh. I think co-wrote always look on the bright side of life. Um, oh, cool. And yeah, so it's done a lot of different things, but this score is so fucking cool. It really lasts. Um, yeah, not exactly in the way you would kind of kind of expect. I mean, I think especially in our uh, commercially like perfected IP <laughs> exploitation stuff of like the 2020s. I don't know. It really feels like this thing has a life of its own, and I don't know. There, I would say it's like there's almost nothing slick about this movie at all. Like it's. It's grimy, it's sweaty, it feels like, you know, it's it's not quite like 70s, like, I'm scared to be here in New York City, but it's closer <laughs> to that than the kind of like... Yeah, it's not you know, cleaned Giuliani. Time, yeah, Times like Square New York and City. stuff. And it feels like an era... Yeah, it's, like, it's like right on, right on the precipice of that. Where like, you know, not every building has air conditioning and it's like... Mm. I don't know. There's uh, also really like appreciated this kind of focus on like the discontented kind of like aimless, like male youth. Like they feel like forerunners to like 4chan cells and stuff. And I feel like, I don't know, depicts that in a cool way. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the very like Gen Xer kind of like, like what are these Gen Xers even doing? They're, you know, they're just kind of listing through life and like, you know, goes with like the, fear of like the crime wave and stuff and it's like our whole setting for it um but yeah no it it feels yeah it feels grimy but it's about it's about people that live in a sewer like yeah, it's, but, it's appropriate yeah, with the yeah, grime. For sure. i also it's it's about family like so like the whole thing about the turtles in this film is like their family and splinter mm-hmm. you know potentially losing splinter is such a like a big like blow to them but also like yeah with the foot clan i mean not to get too deep into it because it's not like super deep but the foot clan their whole thing is like they're a family too like shredder like kind of coerces these kind of uh vagrant youth to like join his family but it's like this false Mm -hmm. family which is like those are often like the psychological dynamics of cults Mm -hmm. and how how they can yeah. be effective. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, we're getting a little too into the plot. I still wanted to talk about some of like the behind the scenes stuff because yeah, we haven't dude. mentioned Ernie Reyes Jr. yet. <laughs> yeah. Dude, it's, it's cool how he gets a kind of special credit. Um, yeah. 
in the well, in, in the final the, role. I forgot about that. He's, he's kind of singled out. You we mentioned Pat Johnson. So Pat Johnson was the uh, fight choreographer on the Karate Kid. And what I learned actually from an interview with Ernie Reyes Jr. is that um, him and his father were supposed to be in a scene in the original Karate Kid, like doing a demo. So like, you know, like at a, like a, a martial arts tournament, they'll have like the high performance demo team do something like before like the finals or whatever. And that, uh, I guess they filmed it, but it was cut from the final film. Oh, and, gotcha. um, but that relationship that they had uh, when they were starting to do production on Ninja Turtles, Pat Johnson was brought in and he was the one that called to, uh, Ernie Reyes and and his son saying, "Hey, we're we're doing this movie. It's a co-production with Golden Harvest." And Ernie Reyes, knowing about Golden Harvest, being like, "Oh my God, Bruce Lee, I need to be in this film." So that's what brought him in to be the stunt suit actor for Donatello. And his time in this film actually warranted it. Uh, he did such a great job that they brought him in as Kino in Turtles Two, which yeah. is really cool. He's he's like a he's like a main character mm-hmm, in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then also, um, uh, his name is Ken Scott. He's the stunt uh, suit actor for Raphael, and he's he's been pretty vocal about his time in the film, and I think he even wrote a book about it. But he was uh, in North Carolina at the time, and he was brought in to be like a stunt extra, and he ended up being one of the uh, Foot Clan. Actually, the fellow Chucker scene, like that's yeah. that's him, like um, oh, cool. competing against Michelangelo. But um, what awesome. happened was. Uh, the scene where Raphael is fighting Casey Jones and then he clocks him and Classic. he flies into the trash can. So the the original stunt actor who was a, a Hong Kong stunt performer, he broke his nose because the, the head caved in and there's all these servos in Raphael's head and it like smashed on him. So he actually oh, left yeah. production. So they were left without a stunt performer and Pat Johnson was basically like, hey man, if you can fit into that Raphael suit, you're Raphael. <laughs> and wow. uh, he says that when he put it on, it didn't really fit. But the production side of it wanted him to be in it. So they just like basically like grabbed a bunch of different parts from different turtles to make sure that he fit in the suit. So he was Raphael from that point on, which is pretty exciting to to think about. Man, dude, amazing. Did you guys ever hear about the Roger Corman like potential Ninja Turtles that never happened. No, No, but I I 100% (laughs) believe that though. So he was originally forever. Yeah. He, he wanted to cast comedians as the turtles. So (laughs) get this list. Oh man. So Sam Kinison, Billy Crystal, (laughs) Gallagher, and Bobcat (laughs) Goldthwait. Oh dude. You dudes are setting a bad example. I learned that. And doing homework for this episode, but that's it's, insane. That's, ins- that's pretty inspired, though. That <laughs> they were gonna be like painted and be the turtles. But it also feels like all kind of we're too much in the same sphere. I feel like with that, there's not <laughs> enough contrast. Like, oh man, <laughs> it's a particular kind of like angrier, yeah, comic. Yeah, uh, <sighs> yeah, that's that's really great. Bobcat Goldthwait, mm-hmm. and Ninja Turtles. Yeah, I mean, Bobcat yeah, yeah. is Splinter. I think could be. <laughs> sure. Doling out like meditative advice. Hello, rabbit. <laughs> Would you give me a running start? Sure. 1,001, 1,002, 1,003. But I mean, okay. I mean, I loved 
this like when I was a kid, I loved Transformers. I mean, first and foremost, but by the time this was starting to come out, I was already kind of like um, not done with Transformers because I'm not still, <laughs> 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 but um, uh, starting to like look at others. And I loved like action movies and I loved like Ninja stuff. And when Ninja Turtles started to come out, like I was all in and I had this funny memory. And I, <laughs> so like Ninja Turtles was on the the cartoon was on uh, on syndication where I was living, and um, I remember seeing an advertisement like coming soon, like Ninja Turtles at three o'clock. In my kid dumb brain, thought three in the morning, so I straight up I woke up at three in the morning to watch Ninja Turtles, and I'm like, <laughs> I did it. I was like, no Ninja Turtles. I was like, wait, you idiot! It's three in the afternoon. <laughs> awesome yeah it was great um but i also the the school that i went to i don't know what it was but we were always getting like tickets to these like live shows um oh cool so i ended up getting tickets to see the coming out of their shells like tour like that like musical like ninja turtles thing yeah my friend um, hugh that's his very first concert um oh man i don't know what my first concert was but i mean it could have been could have been and um yeah, I the 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 weirdest thing though is that the song that stuck with me the most was Splinter's song, which is like stepping stones or skipping rocks or something. Oh like, man, I had the tape. <laughs> yeah, I But yeah, I I I never got into the comics that much, but I do I as I was doing notes for this, I do know that I have like I don't know like a third print or second or third print of issue number 1. That's still at my parents' house. I got to grab that cuz that might be worth like a gajillion dollars. <laughs> oh dude, nice. <laughs> yeah, but I never got into the comics, but and and I mean we can we're we're playing real loose with this because we all really like yeah, this sure. this movie. But um, the other thing I wanted to say about this is that the Ninja Turtles and we we mentioned it before on the podcast. They're basically started as a joke, where uh, Eastman and Laird were kind of just riffing on like goofy stuff, and one of them drew a turtle with like ninja stuff on, and he thought it was funny. So then they made. They fleshed it out and made like all these different turtles, and even yeah, the shredder insiders like dig. Even I think at kind of where Marvel comics were at the time, and yeah, because it's like parodying um, like yeah. Daredevil. Um, yeah, we talked about that, like the Foot Clan and the Hand, the two ninja squads, yeah. right? Or Splinter and Stick. Uh, you know the yeah, but um, I mean, and this actually goes back and ties to like our our connections with Asian cinema too, because. A lot of that stuff that they were riffing on was the Frank Miller era Daredevil stuff, which was yeah. like inspired by like Lone Wolf and Cub and, um, you know, a lot of this Chambara stuff that we've been talking about. And um, actually, like, it's funny. You think the Frank Miller stuff from Wolverine is like him going to Japan and fighting yeah. the hand also and fighting the Yakuza and like 
Frank Miller's like OG weeaboo if you really like think about it because <laughs> he he was like in love with all that stuff and brought it into the comics that he was making. So yeah, and, um, and graphically too, the Eastman and Laird stuff, it's yeah, very much like the, the gritty, like yeah, the yeah. dark, dark night returns, of, yeah, like a harsh, space, harsh like black Miller and stuff. Or, or kind mm-hmm. of like a Mike Mignola kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Yeah, which, which I think that honestly, this film is probably the best kind of adapt piece of adaptation material of all the crazy turtles um, adaptations that really nails, I think, that aspect. Um, yeah, and it's halfway yeah. between like what the comics were and what the cartoon was because yeah totally um, you've got the dark tones but you've also got the individual turtles as in like the colors yeah and, yeah um, which were totally roughly, taken from the cartoon mm-hmm. yeah and and like roughly the same like kind of personality difference where like donnie's the like the smart one mm-hmm. and yeah they, they play they play into that more into the, in the sequels but yeah and raf's like <laughs> he's super edgy and 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 <laughs> Right, dude. I mean, I, like I think every, every kid that saw me. this this theater when uh, sorry saw the movie in the theater when it came out, dude. When Raph says "damn" the first Damn, time, it was yeah. like you shook, and then when he screams it to the yeah. like to the city <laughs> at large, that was one of the one of the things I saw people say talking about this was no movies made the word damn sound cooler than <laughs> the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And also, I think to, that they put they plant that flag in the ground really early in the movie. Yeah. It's the first line that we hear any turtle speak. Also yeah. mad props to Steve Barron to the turtle reveal stuff. Like, yes, I, you can't do it better. I'm not saying like there aren't other films that also handle reveal. They really reveal the turtles better, but yeah, it's like, uh, I mean, just brilliant and the tiny little like flashes from the whites in his eyes underneath the manhole cover oh dude so good yeah damn the the quiet damn yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, not like that they don't not from you uh, yeah. Yeah, also, very, just that's another highly quotable movie yeah like, very quotable. painfully quotable yeah there's a lot of uh a thing that i really love about the talking about the movie itself now I love that the turtles are all like, you know, that they say that they've like basically never been on the surface. And like, this is like their kind of big kind of like, you know, coming out of their shells. Yeah. It's like they're big, you know, now they're like debuting on, on the scene after being underground. But what they have been exposed to from the surface is (laughs) movies. And so, like everything it's cool. they're it's like talking old about movies is like, and shit, yeah, it's yeah. referencing yeah, like James film Cagney war and stuff. stuff. Yeah. And yeah, James Cagney, and you know that's Raph's whole outfit's very like you know with the fedora and stuff's very like forties. Yeah. Because um, Casey and, Jones and, and even says like that, bogey, yeah. which means like Humphrey yeah, Bogart. Yeah, 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 like Humphrey Bogart. Yeah, that's really cool. But yeah, I, I, and I also I like that you know, I, just this is more of just a funny thing, but. I love that the, the other three turtles all sound like the kind of like surfer dude, Southern California, yeah, like yeah. we're used to. But then Raph sounds like he's as New like York as it the most New York yeah. in the world. Yeah, and that, I mean that makes sense. And it, so the with Raph actually, Raph's the only one of the turtles that the voice actor and the suit actor are the same. Yeah, it's yeah. Josh Pice, and I believe that accent was his own decision that he he brought to the film, mm-hmm. and I I love it for it. Like, yeah, it, 
I think, I mean, for me, I've always been a Donatello kid. Like that, that was my favorite turtle, but I love yeah. Raphael in this film. I think he's, he's great. You know, it's funny. I like my brothers were super like they're, my brothers are about y'all's age and mm, right. they were super into Ninja Turtles, but they didn't, I feel like by the time I like was, you know, a kid and like aware of the world, they were like in, you know, middle and high school and they were like, kind of like, you know, past, past it or quote unquote yeah. past it. Um, and so I didn't like, I got literally got their leftovers when it came to Ninja Turtles stuff. Like <laughs> nice. I had a bunch of nin- I had Ninja Turtles toys because it was their old toys. Um, I have actually have a little mini Christmas stocking that uh, has the Ninja Turtles on oh, it. Oh, nice. Uh, which I've, I think I've sent a picture of that to you before, Carlos. Yeah, um, maybe. But, but so, yeah, it's like always been kind of this like secondhand kind of thing for me. Oh, sure. Nice. Um, and I and I had seen this movie before, um, but I it had been a little bit um, like I, I saw it was like in my 20s that I saw it, um, not like as a kid. Um, and actually, for this episode, I watched the other two 90s uh, yeah. uh, Ninja Turtles movies, so those are pretty fresh in my mind, too. Mm. Dude, yeah, that's... Hard. I remember really liking part two. I have not seen part three, though, because even for me as being a fan, by the time part three came out, and I just, I don't know, it just didn't seem like that good to me. But I mean, I, I, I'll i check it out at some point. I, I What I wanted to say, though, is that the dark tone of this film kind of like so okay one uh april o'neill judith hoig the the actress she's she she's great in this film she's not in part two or part three because she i guess she didn't she wasn't as into the violence of the film she thought maybe it was too violent and um Part two is really kind of an answer to the first film. It's a lot more of a cartoony take on the turtles and the like the plot. So it's more in line with the cartoon. Yeah, in some ways, it's almost like refuting like the choices of the first film, which is like again, it's the kind of thing I suppose. um, If you weren't really into the first movie, then that could be seen as a plus. And I think definitely for kids, it's not an exact comparison, but I feel like. Are you going to say kids? Short Circuit 1 and Short Circuit 2? <laughs> no, actually, it's very Are you going to say Gremlins similar. and Gremlins 2? Well, no, I was going to say how, like, I think a lot of kids... <laughs> not quite uh, that extreme, but... Like, the way they gravitate towards Return of the Jedi, let's say. Oh, um, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's not... I would say it's... That's, like, a maybe a subtler gradation of change than, you know, than Turtles 1 or 2, but... I do yeah, really like, like it's part like, 2. It's, it's like giving you a little more just like sugar in your veins. Um, mm, I think it's great. I love how crazy. But no, I, I mean, honestly, is. Kino, like Kino scene in yeah. the opening, like that changed my life. And um, I don't know if we've actually talked about this before, but, you know, growing up as a kid, uh, for whatever reason, like, I think my dad just, he didn't get swept up in like the Bruce Lee stuff. And I didn't end up getting a lot of exposure to, to martial arts stuff. But I was I was just like so interested from afar. And like I remember one time as playing tennis with my dad and as we were driving home, he was describing like the premise of Kung Fu, the David Carradine show. And he was talking mm. about Kane and like basically how he would like meditate 
even when there's like all these obstacles and stuff. And so I'm <laughs> just that experience of my dad, like secondhand, just casually describing that, like really kind of awoke something in me about like, <laughs> like, yeah, transcendental meditation and um, the nice. culture around martial arts. But dude, that opening scene with Kino, I just like, I don't know. It changed me and like that kind of choreography. And also like I was a super little kid. Like I was like smaller than the kids, like a grade below me. Like I, yeah, getting really personal, but I ended up going to like an endocrinologist, like towards like late elementary school, middle school and was on like some kind of like program to try to like help with my height. Cause it was like really bad. I'm, Whoa. Not, <laughs> I'm still pretty small now. I'm like five, <laughs> just about five, six, but like I was on track to be like, I don't know, Danny DeVito kind of size. <laughs> like, yeah, no joke. And so, I don't know. It's like, I, I'm realizing when I look back that it's like, I was really drawn to a lot of shorter people like Michael Chang in tennis. He was like gotcha. one of my f- favorites and, and yeah, so I don't know, just Keno. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like Ernie Reyes Jr. Stuff. is definitely a, he's a, he's a, he's a short King as the kids say. Yeah, totally. And so it's like, yeah, yeah, Turtles 2 will always have like a soft spot Mm -hmm. in my heart for me. But yeah, as like a piece of cinema, it's a very different project. Um, Yeah. A little bit more of a joke, but. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Babies, um, they are babies. (laughs) (laughs) I love that line. Yeah. (laughs) Toka and Razor. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which this isn't a Secret of the Use episode. Secret of the Use is, it is a very fun movie. It's it's It's, very goofy. Yep. In my head, what Secret of the Ooze feels like the movie that you watched on, like you watched wore the VHS tape out, but even though you knew that the first one was better, that was the one that you watched a billion times. I don't yeah. know, that's the vibe that it gave me. So. Dude, man, that's like bullseye. You hit a spot on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Um, the darker tone of this film, like when they, like the first screener for the people that were on the production side, they were like, oh, crap, we messed up. Like, this movie's way too dark. Like, kids aren't going to like this, you know? And, like, this isn't for adults either. But, like, yeah, it's like that typical story about the, like, the movie execs being completely wrong in knowing what the audience wants. And I think that the tone, that darker tone, made it a little more accessible for adult, like, the parents to watch the film with the kids. And then the kids still loved it because they are getting the turtles on screen. So it was, like, this perfect mix of things that really uh, led to this being incredibly successful. And I feel Mm -hmm. like this is, like, okay, so, like, the turtles are, like, late 80s, 87 or something. The comics came out. And then they made a deal to make the toys. So the toys were in production through Playmates, who actually Playmates is a Hong Kong-based company. So there's oh, another there like Hong Kong connection for you. <laughs> and um, when they were starting to produce these toys, the you know the kind of like the conveyor belt line of producing like a toy line or something is like, oh, this is gonna be. Uh, tied to a cartoon or something so then they were like okay we got to make a cartoon so yeah. then they started to produce like a pilot like i think the f- there was like five episodes uh of like a, a pilot of the ninja turtles and those became really successful but then like right before like everything got really huge and it was starting to become huge that's when they went in production with this film so it kind of had its own independent production outside of the influence of what would be the popularity of the cartoon so i think that that's kind of this kind of timing thing let it be 
the yeah, way they were that all kind of cresting is. at the same time like yeah because if it would have been the cartoon and the movie yeah yeah if it would have been a little later i feel like the first film would have been way more influenced by what the cartoon was doing and uh that's what you see in the second film and we yeah, totally. actually like us three guys i can't believe we haven't talked about the video games either because these video games are also Amazing. like incredibly influential especially as a konami fan yeah. yes as yeah. like yeah. video game music fans like ninja oh, yeah, turtles the, like the ninja turtles is that's it's like one of the it's probably it might ooh, this is a big statement i'm it's, not sure if it's true I'm, but it might be the best non-nintendo nes soundtrack dude, it's, it's incredible it's, it's, it's from really the first track good. onwards oh that track. might that might not be true but it's uh, it's up there it's it's a really good soundtrack Yeah, just, yeah. And uh, Turtles, like one on Nintendo, yeah. It's it's not the best game. It has its like faults, but I still think like if you're a fan of Ninja Turtles, like you were I mean, you were in in heaven playing oh, yeah. it. And and then also and there was got a the, bunch that came out in a very short period of time. Yeah, because they yeah, were really hitting sure. while the iron was hot. Um yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the arcade game, legendary Classic. game. Oh, yeah. Classic. And then Turtles in Time. Like even better, like yeah, crazy good. So like they ported they ported the first arcade game to Nintendo, and it was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two colon the arcade game. Arcade game yeah. And I have this very distinct memory. This is like a spoiled Carlos memory where for my <laughs> birthday, like that's what I wanted so bad. And I remember opening my presents and I didn't get it, and I like was like pouty and i was like sad and i was like gonna cry and they were pulling a joke on me they were like just kidding we got it for you and then wow. i was like <laughs> i was like oh, i felt so stupid right away like wow you idiot you were crying because you didn't get what you wanted yeah <laughs> but that game's amazing too and actually the nintendo version has a couple of differences from the arcade version because it was yeah. a, like a dumbed down so there's like an extra stage but actually i really like the background music for that stage oh totally and, um but yeah like over the years like so many cool like konami was the one that was handling all of these back then so teenage mutant ninja turtles tournament fighters there was a nintendo version a sega genesis version and a super nintendo version and they were all distinct these were like basically street fighter clones but using the ninja turtles right and uh the super nintendo version is actually a very very reliable tournament worthy fighting game that that has a small dedicated following to this day oh dude that's and, awesome yeah yeah and i mean much more recently just within the last like couple of months we yeah. got a new uh ninja turtles beat em up um yeah through sure tribute. Right. it's yeah, amazing and, man and that and game is really really good it might be the best like belt scroller beat em up I've ever played. It, like, it's like it's yeah, it's just refined to like perfection, man. It yeah, so well. Yeah, music's great. The yeah. graphics are T awesome. Pixel, yeah, pixel yeah. art graphics really so much character in each of the animations and really um, bringing like the animated series back into the limelight. They got like yeah. all the living voice actors, mm -hmm. to and the plot play. of the game is really tied to like 
yeah, what you would know from the cartoon. They pull from that in like really fun ways. And actually, they wrap in some of the characters from the movies. Toka and Razor are in that game. You fight against them. They're bosses. Oh, and, cool. In, in addition to Bebop and Rocksteady. Yep. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so it's kind of pulling it. Yeah, it, it's funny. I don't know if there's any other property quite like this where each little branch um, kind of feels the freedom to, to pull in influence from the other branches. It's like... Yeah. Um. I don't yeah, know. Just one, I feel like they're each big. better better for it. This is our uh, Ninja Turtles file. <laughs> Ninja Turtles love episode. Dude, well, <laughs> well, I mean, so there's, it's not really going to, there's not going to be two other yeah, times to bring it <laughs> yeah, up. Yeah, it's so. like this, this is the chance. The other thing I um, wanted to mention, and in some ways this, this is kind of a familiar story to the podcast, um, but the ratio, this is another movie where it's like the ratio of the budget to the box office returns is is incredible yeah the budget was 13 13 (laughs) the budget was 13 and a half million and the gross was 202 million yeah and this is Um, 1990 dollars yeah 1990 dollars so basically double all that to get the present day yeah also remembering in 1990 just the amount of screen like say in america the amount of screens across the country is like such a smaller percentage of what you have in like the early 2000s or today and the a lot of people consider it it's considered one of the highest grossing independent films because the way people define an independent film is basically not one of the big american studios Mm. which i always thought was funny because golden harvest is like one of the biggest studios in hong kong so it's funny but i suppose by like hollywood standards they probably do look at golden harvest as yeah as independent which is yeah interesting this this tiny little studio that no one liked (laughs) (laughs) it's so crazy that eastman and laird just made a joke and they made a gajillion dollars i think one of the dudes bought a tank just because he had the money to do it he bought a a, like straight up military tank (laughs) um it's crazy man yeah and all of the like stuff branching off of the comic was thanks to a guy that they hired to license their stuff named uh mark friedman um Mm. he was the guy that was like hey you guys could do this or you could make uh toys out of it the ray croc of um... i'm yeah, I don't that's know who the, that is, but sure. That's the dude who basically like franchised McDonald's and Oh yeah, yeah, like, yeah. And made he, it, into- it was his idea to push to make a live action film. So um all of this is really thanks to like the kind of uh investment of this dude too. And uh yeah, it's it's crazy. And the the, the movie itself, I mean, we could talk about the plot a bit, right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, quick, quick idea, guys. Like what if we just insert the the or back of the VHS text like wherever you see fit, Matthew. Like when editing it, would that make sense? Because <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's hard I, to stop this train now where we're at. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, I don't know. We, or we, we don't, like we don't have to. Do, I don't have to do it every time. Like everyone knows. Yeah, what yeah. Ninja Turtles is. But one of the things I wanted to say is that the VHS release of Ninja Turtles was a big deal for me for sure. Because like, oh, dude, yeah. I, I, I mean. Tape yeah it i remember like when it was come when it came out i mean first of all i think we rented it but then um if you bought it you got like a coupon for pizza hut to get like a free pizza (laughs) (laughs) and i think turtles 2 the nes uh, turtles 2 that i was talking about that also had a coupon and even more so this new shredder's revenge game 
had like has like a physical copy tie-in that had a coupon for Pizza Hut just as a throwback, which is really fun. That's fun. Which yeah. is funny because the movie has dominoes in it. That's like the right, the, right. the, the, the um Yep. Uh, and actually the, the product placement. Yep. The uh the domino the delivery guy at the beginning in the of the film, that's the Michelangelo yeah. uh, suit actor. Yeah, I yeah. yeah. Hey, this is a ten. The tab's thirteen. You're two minutes late, dude. Ah, come on. I couldn't find a place. Wise man say, forgiveness is divine, but never pay full price for late pizza. <laughs> yep. Beautiful. That's a yeah, that's a that's a go into where he's like he hands the money through the grade. Doesn't give him the full price because he was late. Yep. Um, yeah, so yeah, we I mean we can talk about the plot then, right? So uh-huh. I, I think it's really cool because like the movie starts and it pulls you into like New York, but it's like crime in New York. So you're getting like an exposition about what the Foot Clan is. So there's a crime wave happening in New York, and um, it's April O'Neil describing. It's mainly it. people getting their TVs and radios stolen. <laughs> yeah, but it's yeah, really. I, I think those scenes are really fun. Like they are. That's the, I love crime. the 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 lady that's like sitting out on the fire escape. Oh, dude, so she great. reaches in and then looks back, and her TV's gone. <laughs> Yep. And again, Ugh. like the framing of all these things, they feel like comic panels. Um, it's always like kind of like the juiciest camera angle on, on these things. And the do 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 do. Oh, oh yeah, I love it. <laughs> oh, so yeah, it really just brings you in, man. So um, yeah, shortly after that, you're introduced to the turtles in the most fun way, right? <laughs> that sewer like sequence. And actually, yeah, the, the logo is the same logo as the cartoon version, right? Yeah. It's yeah. The yeah it's the, the one in the, in the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, with that sequence, you kind of get an idea of their relationship to each other and kind of like their individual styles as well, which is really fun. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I love them kind of like trying to trying out different, like cool words to say yeah yeah totally like, bossa nova chevy <laughs> <laughs> <Jevi> nova yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ooh, you sound yeah also like cory feldman's voice is yeah so yeah cory feldman yeah cory feldman is a uh, dontella right yep. yeah 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 the voices too um the other one that's actually kind of notable is brian tochi he's leonardo's voice and he was in revenge of the nerds which last episode donald oh, yeah, yeah we had yeah yeah, we yeah. Had, well, had revenge over. of the nerds Yep. So yeah, that's pretty cool. And yeah, just production design too of like their den. It's it's so great. It, it I don't know. You really believe that like they're living there. Um, and it's all this. It's it's not you know. It's like this original stuff. It's not copying what you were were seeing in the cartoon. Really, you know. There's no like turtle van in this movie. I don't know. I just I like that it's its own thing, and I like that it kind of just pulls it in, in the right way from all of the other stuff. See, what I'm thinking of now is like, in some ways, this is this feels like more like the natural order of things, which is these new IPs that are entertaining for kids, like should be playing to kids. So, of course, you didn't have the internet at this time, but even if you had the internet, you wouldn't have had a bunch of grumpy twenty and thirty somethings like weighing in. I'm like, well, actually, the den here doesn't look like the den in the cartoon, you know, like. (laughs) Yeah, right. And as kids, like, kind of like to your point earlier, Carlos, about the tone, where you come to find that the kids are like, oh, actually, I'm into this. This is cool. Like, it's not like other material I watch. (laughs) I think also kids were cool that like, oh, this is different than that is different than that. I'm I'm into it. 
And I don't know, I, I do lament that we rarely get any anything like that nowadays in our even though we have so much more IP coverage. <laughs> yeah. Arguably. Yeah. But it's yeah, but just, yeah, that's that's not not to get all kids these days or movies these days or whatever. But yeah, a lot of stuff now isn't like allowed to get as weird and, and kind of different. Or right. the the weird and different is, you know, uh, I don't know. It or it's like more safe than you know trying totally. like something kind of out there. Or in you know the, I haven't seen it. Maybe the movie's fine. I don't know. Uh oh. Or in the case of the the more recent Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles live action movie, the Michael Bay ones, where the turtles right. look terrible. <laughs> like <laughs> well, the designs okay. just aren't uh, good or appealing. So uh, I I've seen parts of the first film. Mm-hmm. And um, they were okay, but yeah, I'm not really as into the designs. But I do feel like there's some characterization in those two movies that they do kind of get right about how the turtles interact with each other. So, um, I mean, I don't know. I'm they're not my favorite, but also the second film really does You're play. Talking too... like they are your favorite. I mean, no, 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 no. So there are some cool things in the second movie that I, that I like. Like Bebop and Rocksteady are in it, and it kind of does like a whole Krang Shredder thing, and they miss on some of the parts, but you get to see like Krang fighting the turtles, which I thought was really cool. And I I always thought Krang was funny, like and awesome. He's like a robot suit with a brain in his belly. And he's like kind of goofy, and I mean, I really like the kind of relationship of Krang and Shredder in the in the cartoon. So like, I I watched, I watched, I didn't pay to watch it. It was like probably on one. Well, I mean, I paid a streaming service, and it was on there, but I didn't seek it out. I was like, oh, I'll yeah. just throw this on, and I I thought it was it was better than I expected it to be. But there's a lot of stupid stuff too, yeah. like. Um, I don't know. Uh, whatever. Well, it's anyway. funny just thinking about like Krang and Bebop and Rocksteady. I think another thing that this the variety of the Turtles adaptations kind of like demonstrate is it's like how to play to your medium. And it's like, well, in the animated medium, we can be as like techno wacky and kind of fantastic as as we're able to draw, you know, mm-hmm. like that's really our limit. And I don't know. And I think that's great. And you know, the movie is so much better for not at all attempting to kind of like eat the show's lunch. It's like, it's doing what a movie does well, you know, Mm -hmm. and the comics do what, you know, black and white, like minimal panel comics do really well. And the toys do what toys do really well. And they have like more poseable joints than the other action figures. And (laughs) that was, that was part of (laughs) why we were going to talk about the plot. And then we just started talking about a bunch of stuff, but basically what happens in the games were cool because of what games do. Well, anyways. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, what you, what you end up finding is like, so the turtles have the, you know, they establish the turtles, but they're also kind of like these heroic dudes. So they're they're stopping crime, and that pulls them into uh, meeting with April. So a, a chance encounter ends up bring having them bring her to the lair. Like they decide that on their own, and um, she like freaks out, and then that gives yeah. Splinter a chance to tell Harrison them. Ford line is so great. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why don't I ever dream of Harrison Ford? Um, so that gives Splinter a chance to explain the origins of the turtle. So you get this really adorable, like, flashback. This, and- 
all of the way that this is shot and the way that the puppets look and move, that yeah. feels very Golden Harvest. Oh, shit. Like, Dude, totally. Like, yeah. Like, just like the like the things. film grain on them and the way it's like juxtaposed, not not what um superimposed on like, yeah. the backgrounds and stuff totally. feels very, very like 80s Hong Kong. Dude, yeah. Any of the flashback stuff. Yeah. I totally agree. Like, uh, yeah, it seems like similar techniques or like. It's like they're in the really they're in the flashback dimension whenever yeah, they, totally. they go to where works, it's like the black background well. or whatever. Um but yeah, the staging too is Splinter is telling his story and then like all the the lighting in our in the environment goes away and mm-hmm. also just great use of natural light in the movie. Like it's a very dark film, just kind of in general, and it I'm sure it's not the case, but it really feels like most of the lights originate like organically, like in the in the space. Yeah, like whenever they're in the sewer, it's like in, you know, the regularly like on the ceiling in the sewer or it's like lights they've kind of cobbled together or street lights, stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, We also have to mention, yeah, Casey Jones and Raphael, like. I mean, Raphael oh, in the middle of a scuffle ends up losing one of his size and it's really frustrating to him. So he's like, I'm I'm getting out of here. So he goes to the movies and then he ends up stopping he's at critters. Yeah, he's he used critters. Yeah. It bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. And he stops some uh some youths from stealing a woman's purse. And then as he's chasing him down, he encounters another vigilante, and that's Casey Jones. And they have such a wonderful interaction. It's like one of my favorite. Yeah, this is. Scenes. <laughs> I I mean, it's totally possible. It's like nostalgia goggles, but this is one of my like top ten favorite scenes in a movie. Yeah, it's um, too good. I don't know why I love it. So, I mean, there's it's definitely great repartee and and stuff. And again, it's like so dark and like mm-hmm. Casey Jones is so sweaty and grime. Like it yeah. doesn't feel like it's for kids, you know. Um, but, but yeah, yeah the really other my favorite my favorite line from it is the a Jose can say go fat. Tell me. You didn't pay money for this. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. Oh, that's great. But I also Cricket, like you how you gotta it, know what a crumpet is. Yeah. <laughs> I also like how it doesn't. So, like, you would think that a big, huge focal point of a live action version of Ninja Turtles would be these freaks. Like how I guess almost like the X Men. Like they're the outcasts. Like he, normal society yeah. wouldn't. Like, you know, they would shun them. And I mean, here you have Raphael in a very crude disguise walking through the city and they don't make jokes about it. They they do make like there's just a couple of two little things, but it's not like it actually affects the plot where it's like, no, you, we're watching the Ninja Turtles. You, you get over it like they live in New York and they're hiding <laughs> in the sewer, but it's not like a huge thing where it's like. You know, yeah, totally. And it feels we like we feel a bad the city a little bit. Like, yeah, I yeah, you love could love how much none of the New Yorkers care yeah. that there's giant turtle yeah. people running yeah, around. Exactly, and they they play into that in in Secret of the Ooze also. But yeah, right, that's right. actually that's in this very scene is where Raphael run like rolls over a, a taxi and the person and it's like, what was that? What the heck was that? Looked like sort of a big turtle in a trench coat. You're going to LaGuardia, right? Yeah. Right, that's, the, right. that's the Raphael actor. That's the passenger in that cab. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, so he each watched of himself the, run. Like each of the, um, not the uh, stunt doubles, but the costume 
um, performers like have cameos in the movie, yeah, which yeah, is yeah, awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then that's where we get our big like top of scream at your top of scream at the top of your lungs, damn, damn. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. To see the city, so that's and and Raphael is the one that really pulls April into things too because. He's following her because he knows that she took the sigh, and then she ends up in the subway, and the Foot Clan like they they meet her, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, That's this a is great another fight. Oh, yeah, and, and just the lead up to that too, like we have a message for you, April O'Neil, and he slaps, he slaps yeah, he her, slaps her. Yeah. Um, oh, so dude. Raphael jumps in and uh, saves her, but that's mm-hmm. what pulls her into yeah. uh, the world of the turtles. And then there's the fun, the fun scene after whenever she like after they explain the whole background and she's like back at her, uh, her apartment and uh, they have to like hide from the people that are in it. That's that's a really fun and kind of goofy scene. Oh, like, dude, so great, yeah. And like you cool. see people, you see it in like the reflection of the mirror turn around, they're not there. And yeah, because the turtles are silly. like fun and lighthearted, but you also get a sense that they're very skillful too. And yeah, it's like just they like, are capable. Yeah, it's a natural thing to them. Yeah, vanish quickly without a trace. And yeah, the character of Danny, like we've talked about it a little bit more, like broadly speaking, this kind of disaffected young male, but he's kind of the embodiment of that. Um, Yeah. And I think works really effectively in the movie. He doesn't feel like the protagonist, which I think is, I think is really wise. Um, You know, we're obviously he had, we're supposed to really kind of focus on him in any scenes that he's that he's featured, but yeah, it feels like he's really kind of acts as like a metaphor more for maybe the young men that they thought were <laughs> watching the movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So a- after the scuffle, though, one of the the Foot Clan members ends up kind of tailing, and uh, that leads them to find where their lair is. And the Foot Clan, while they're while the turtles are like kind of partying with April, the the Foot Clan like jumps in and kidnaps Splinter. So this yeah. is kind of like towards the lower point of the film, where mm-hmm. now the turtles yeah. are struggling with the the possibility of losing their father. And um, I think and this is one of the best like radio controlled lips things ever. Splinter, Splinter. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, amazing. Have you ever seen footage of them operating those? It looks so crazy. It yeah, looks, it looks nuts. They've got like a yeah. One hand has like these dial with all these. Each individual finger has like tied to like servos on the head, and then they also have like a a joystick too. It's it's amazing the the orchestration involved to make this. I mean, these turtles look so believable. It's yeah, it, it's awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. Briefly, I have to say, there's a there's a, a quick scene where we see the Foot Clan hideout. Oh, the Foot yeah. Clan hideout looks awesome, dude. <laughs> like, so cool that narc cabinet and like then, yeah, there's a narc cabinet. And- yeah, there's like a skate park <laughs> it's inside. Not just dudes, there are a couple of ladies there, but yeah, it's there's some lazy like dudes. A, Brilliant. It's mostly and, disaffected young men, right? Um, and Sam Rockwell, is yeah, kind of yeah, tiny baby Sam Rockwell is, yeah. yeah. And the um, I love the first shot is a like a kid smoking his cigar playing pool. <laughs> yeah, oh, that rules! So great. Yeah. Ah, oh, dude. It's like every every parent's fear just like rolled into one place. Like, oh, they're playing their video games and smoking. Yeah. Oh, dude, that f- the. Shredder's speech, I think, is also just such a 
beautiful and powerful scene. You are here because the outside world rejects you. This is your family. I am your father. I want you all to become full members of the foot. There is a new enemy. Freaks of nature who interfere with our business. You are my eyes and ears. Find them. Together we will punish these creatures. These turtles. I, like, I feel like you can totally buy how this would pull these dudes in and it's how this could be an effective cult. Like, the outside world rejects you. Oh, mm-hmm. really- yeah. And it's, and like you said before, this is, this is maybe a little too brain genius for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but (laughs) they're kind of, it's kind of showing that like people that aren't biological family can become your family in two different like mirror image kind of ways. Totally. Because the turtles and Splinter obviously are, you know, they're some person's pet turtles and a rat, like they're not actually connected or related by anything other than circumstance, but they have like a healthy relationship and everything and, and work together. And then the other way is like, you know, like a cult, but both of them are kind of a found family. Um, no, dude, I think that's beautifully put. And yeah, I think for like the latchkey kid Gen X um, set, it's like that, that really was like a, a relevant question. Yeah. So I think we mentioned, or no, maybe we didn't, but, uh, and I kind of love this little detail, like, like April has a really cool apartment and it's like attached to this antique store that she owns. That's not really an operation, um, which ultimately ends up being this really cool set for a pretty huge fight. But the fight kicks off by Ralph goes up to the roof. Uh, sorry, Ralph, <laughs> yeah. Ralph, 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 Vader. Ralph, yeah. um, <laughs> Yeah, Raph goes up to the roof, basically blowing off steam. He's like, you know, continues to be angry. And I love this like long, like telephoto lens and just the look of this whole thing. So we, this is, we kind of return back to Casey Jones, who's like tinkering with something on the roof of his building. And he sees Raph from a distance. Um, And it's just a cool little moment. We don't actually log that much time with Raph and Casey Jones, but it's really brilliantly done, I think, because even in that earlier exchange we were talking about, you get the sense that these guys don't hate each other. This circumstance that they found themselves in just, like, makes them adversaries. And here you get the sense he's, like, admiring Raph's martial arts. But then he also witnesses that there are these Foot Clan soldiers that are basically, like, swarming in on him. And we have some fun juxtaposition. April gets back home, and they're talking about Raph, and then he's getting beat up. We cut to him getting, getting like, outnumbered and beaten up on the roof. And ultimately, um, the fight comes to them, and he, like, smashes through the ceiling. Yeah, it's great. And uh, this, I, I guess, I'm not as familiar with the comics I was telling you, Marty, a little just a little while ago. It was pretty much the cartoon and the video games and the movies for me. But uh, what I did read is that some of these scenes are pulled from the comics. Um, the antique shop fight is one of them. And um, they're kind of 
pilgrimage out to the countryside is a, yeah, a like right. a plot point from the comic oh books. another cool kind of relic is actually the comic book adaptation which maybe those are still a thing but those oh. <laughs> definitely happened a lot like in the 90s um in addition to novelizations you had these full-length comic book adaptations but the comic book adaptation for teenage mutant ninja turtles the movie was done by eastman and laird oh, um, nice. so they're sense. like you're incorporating the screenplay for the film, but it's like their point of view and stuff. And yeah, those are, those are great. So it's like a weird kind of, yeah. How many degrees of <laughs> translation or something? Sure. But I mean, yeah, we, I mean, we, we're always talking about action on this podcast and you do, you don't get a ton of fight sequences, but when you do, they're like these really fun, big sequences that we see here. So um, you get to have each of the turtles have their own like fun little moments. Of, we mentioned the, the nunchuck competition, which is really great. You have these like shell bump moments where they're like knocking yeah. their shells into the, the foot soldiers and the fight escalates. And that little beat where Leo keeps swinging his sword in a pattern and then stop. That feels like a very Yun clan kind of. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Moment, yeah. I do really love the suits, though. Just the way that they kind of emphasize the, like, muscular structure. Like, even though yeah, they're turtles, yeah. like, they just look so... They look like the perfect build, like what you would you would want to see a live-action Ninja Turtle look like. And I think they're just realized so well for the film. Yeah, and it's not like a like buff American gym rat kind of build. It definitely feels more like a martial artist kind yeah. of body. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But as the fight escalates... Um, it, it's actually kind of a comedic beat, but uh, one of the Foot Clan members has an axe and he strikes like uh, uh, like a breaker box and it starts a fire. So the uh, fire breaks out in the middle of this yeah. Yeah, fight sequence. So they basically have to escape and that takes them out. Yeah, um, and also Casey Jones shows up um, mm-hmm. in a really kind of awesome moment. And Ralph is like... trying to make it happen oh my god terrible uh god what kind of voice should he have if he's real but um (laughs) i like how he's like yeah what are you doing to my friend there it's like that's yeah almost get choked up a little bit but yeah really cool and the score is so good in Mm -hmm. this um this tail end of the fight is they're all kind of escaping and casey ends up hearing (laughs) like very 80s Tape-based answering machine. Um, <laughs> or maybe it was digital. No, it looks like a tape one. It um, was a tape. Uh, it's certainly Yeah, a tape. that she's getting, like, she's getting fired by her boss. And uh, kind of a funny little perfect timing sort of moment as the she's fired. And it's like, oh, I know this must come as a blow. And then it falls on the dude's head. Yeah. But, yeah, then they're running out of there while, like, in the reflection of the van's windows, you see it kind of going down in flames. So. Yeah, really cool. And then there's like the kind of meditative uh, countryside set where uh, Raphael is is injured now and he's basically kind of in recovery. And there's some the funny moments. I, I like interactions between Casey and Donatello as they're fixing a vehicle and they're like basically calling each other names, but they're following like a structure of the alphabet. So uh, in their conversation, yeah. they have to make sure they're <laughs> following so the right order which is really fun there's a fun moment too where well april and casey have this love-hate relationship and um casey's like rubbing april's shoulders and uh mike michelangelo shows up and he's like 
looking kind of sore and he grabs like a bottle of turtle wax and he's chuckling <laughs> it's really fun love stuff like that dude so good yeah so oh, oh Raphael ends up uh waking up from his like coma and then they kind of have this like meditative kind of uh campfire moment where they're like you know they're visited by like the spirit of splinter and you know it's yeah. a very kind of warm like kind of definite de- definitive family moment for them and um, yeah it actually it's still like really landed with me yeah. watching it all these years later i think very so touching, too i think um, oh, also and- want to call out all of april's drawings which um <laughs> yeah are so cool and as yeah. a kid it was like that was another one of my favorite parts just wishing i could draw like that (laughs) yeah that's awesome i love that yeah they they get like they after they because part of what um donnie and uh casey jones are doing is fixing up a car and so they are able to get back into town um and whenever they do get back that's that's whenever danny kind of finally has his 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 realization moment and helps bring them to a shredder's lair yeah actually danny as a character, I guess, has some of the most growth out of any of the characters in the film because he's like with the foot and he's actually the reason that they end up finding the turtles. And then he realizes he has like a heart to heart with Splinter. And then I guess I am the burper again. <clears throat> oh, I've I've burped several times and just oh, been nice. Been been kind to go off camera. Maybe I just suck camera too off much, mic. <laughs> so much Aaron when I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you, but, you guys definitely have a lot more to say about this than than I do. You have a lot more <laughs> deeper history yeah. with it. To to our embarrassment, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, That's yeah. This good. this uh, splinter, and this is where we also get some more of that, like what you were calling Matthew, the kind of like golden harvest Shaw Brothers too, a little bit, kind of like flashback, like degraded film kind of thing. And God, that works. That works so well, man. And I've got to say, uh, just in general. Uh, Act two is where a lot of films can really kind of sag and uh, you can sometimes can find yourself kind of disconnecting from them. And obviously Turtles with kind of how the plot is structured here could totally run that risk. I mean, the Turtles themselves are just out in this like farmland, not doing anything and recovering. And uh, Danny, who you probably don't feel a lot of goodwill towards, is like timidly like connecting to to splinter a little bit but i don't know i think kevin clash's performance really the dialogue here everything about this i think is really working and in the same way that i find like shredder actually very convincing and compelling to these kids splinter feels like super compelling here especially it's like i mean this guy is like beaten and he just looks awful and I don't know. It's just like eliciting, eliciting all the sympathy, but he's not like begging for sympathy. You know, he's, he's just stays kind of so noble. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that, the little Muppet, uh, splinter doing the martial arts, <laughs> the, the martial arts in the cage. Oh, yeah. man. So great. How fun is that? <laughs> um, this is a difference too. Yeah. Um, in the cartoon splinter was the, the character in, in the yeah. movie, he's the, the pet of Hamato Yoshi. So there's a little bit of a difference there, but I mean, I still think it's cool. And yeah, he's, he scars Shredder's face and that's why Shredder wears a mask. I love, I love the, um, you you kind of mentioned, I'm just scrubbing through the movie and I do love that. Every time Splinter talks, uh, 
it's like it is this like you know flashback dimension where it's like completely black in the background besides the people (laughs) that that really is just a cool visual you know that it's a flashback but it's a cool like visual uh, thing it reminds me of um, i think it's a lot of asian films like this but we talked about this a little bit on um to to plug our sister show swim fans um i was on the episode talking about um female prisoner 701 uh oh yeah nice there's there's a lot of stuff in that that's very like especially in flashbacks that's very like stagey and like not realistic but like has like a cool tone to it like set pieces in the background and like transparent floors and stuff like that yeah nice nice it's just it's just a cool stylistic choice mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah so now the turtles are, are are back and they're ready to rescue splinter and they do kind of like an inverse of what happened earlier where the foot clan show up in their lair but they ambush the foot clan meanwhile casey's kind of infiltrated the uh the the kids club to help save splinter and he has a moment where he sees splinter and he's just like huh all right <laughs> giant rat guy whatever <laughs> <That's great. laughs> i think that's uh, really dude, and he, like when he finally like kind of gets through to the kids that feels really real and also mm-hmm. i mean shout out to this uh actor uh elias Coteus. Yeah. i don't know if that's how you say his last name but um just he plays this so well it's like it's not overdone feels like very natural we're a family family you you, what you said family you 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 call this here and that down there family he's also he's kind of representing this kind of like traditional masculinity or machismo or something that they're maybe kind of like longing for but he's not trying to sell them anything. You know, it's like, I don't know. I think it's great. Yeah. And um, yeah, we should also mention uh, a dude that's like Shredder's right hand man. Um, oh, yeah. Tatsu. Tatsu. Yeah. yeah. It's it's really cool, too, because he's kind of like this really like kind of cruel, hardened father kind of figure type. And you have some moments in the movie where um, he's teaching kids some hard lessons like physically like attacking them you know for yeah. for maybe like doing like, the wrong thing he's he's the opposite like he's the not honorable fighting like the whenever like one of them like bows after sparring then he hits them and it's like you know don't don't look away from your opponent or whatever and it's, it's very like i don't know very anti like yeah. what you think of as like the martial arts code or whatever and I like yeah, that yeah. they they position Casey against him towards the end of the film, so that uh, kind of shows you like he kind of shows him like, hey, this guy isn't like great, like and like you were saying, Marty, um, that speech that Casey gives to kind of convince these these down and out kids that what they're doing isn't right. I think it really works. Yeah, totally. And that's kind of taking us to the kind of to the to the end. Yeah, where we have our, our kind of. The, the the reuniting of of Shredder and Splinter, and Splinter uh, yeah, Shredder like, like realizing what like that he is the one that caused the the problem or the caused the the scarring and just such a great yeah this the rooftop fight um I don't know I, there's a sense of suspense here again and I think this is this is kind of the highest level that the action really gets in the film um and again like very very dark and uh, the actor that's performing 
um, Shredder is like yeah, really strong in the in the sequence too. Um, James Saito. James Saito, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, great. I I don't know in this this nice mix of uh, you know a lot of pain and a lot of difficulty, but we still get some. Yeah, just funny moments with the turtles. Oh, right. As they're um, heading yeah, up, turtles. you know, you get the... God, I love being a turtle! With Michelangelo yeah. tucking his head in to avoid an attack. Um, yeah. Trailer yeah, some, moment, I remember. Yeah, that. some of the... And actually, yeah, I watched the trailer. And in the trailer, it's not the voice actor it's actually like the the voice like so this was before they must have done the dubbing over so it's the other voice because like if you watch some behind the scenes footage you'll hear the you know that the actor still delivering the the line yeah so it it's a thing that i noticed when i was watching the trailer oh that's cool wow yep yep and actually, yeah, during the fighting, you get like some more of these like tag team mo- moments. I like it. I forget. I think it's Raphael and Donatello do like a roly poly where they're like yeah. holding their ankles and rolling. That's something you'd see in the Simpsons. Konami beat them up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's really fun. But yeah, I, I like how they set up this final fight. And I mean, honestly, for me, I would love to see more of it but yeah shredder makes his grand entrance and each of them are like all right let's do like a one at a time kind of situation yeah each each turtle gets to it's a great way to show like how formidable he is Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's funny too because i mean they look very muscular but you can kind of tell that the shredder character he's kind of got this baggy outfit he doesn't look like he's built very well but i mean that shouldn't uh really tell you like how formidable he is but yeah when when they drew shredder originally i think the joke was just like hey what if a guy was wearing cheese graters on his arms how would he look and that's how like they ended up designing the shredder wow that's crazy that's yeah uh, that's funny mm-hmm. i also really like uh the turtles doing rock paper scissors because they only have like three fingers which is pretty <laughs> funny to me yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah, so uh, Casey Jones kind of has wrangled up all of these kind of lost Foot Clan kids, and uh, they're arriving at the scene of the final battle, and it's pan- basically setting the stage for everything because the turtles are getting whooped pretty hard, and then um, Splinter shows up, and uh, the Shredder kind of realizes what's uh, who he is and how it relates to his history, and uh, ultimately that's the Shredder's downfall because... He goes to attack Splinter, and Splinter basically counters and tosses him over the ledge. And it's this moment where, you know, he's hanging, and uh, Shredder tries to do an attack, and he he lets go, and then he falls to his death. Which is actually kind of crazy, too. But if I remember right, I think the Shredder, in the comic books, he, like, dies right away. like In In the the first issue, yeah, the end of the first issue. Okay, yeah. I I think there's a similar, kind of a similar rooftop fight, even. It's... Yeah, now that you mention it, um, I guess the movie does really kind of follow some of the broad beats of the like issue number one. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, so one of these kind of almost like a, I don't know, like a like a Disney movie death. Yeah, for, for yeah, a character. I, was, I was thinking it's like a Disney villain where it's like the hero can't actually kill them, but can set them up in a situation where they end up falling to their death on their own, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Right, or their right. own folly or whatever. Although obviously he doesn't actually die because he's in the next movie, but whatever. 
Oh man, that's so cool! <laughs> Super Shredder rules. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's it's funny because I remember I had heard people talk about Super Shredder, and he's like he's it's cool. It's a cool you know design and stuff, but he's in the movie for like a minute, <laughs> and mm, then it's right, right, being in scene of the movie. Yeah, yeah, but but that's a different movie. Um, this is uh, that kind of takes us to the end of uh, of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and we get that great uh, T U R T L E power uh, oh, man. song over the so credits. On the half shell, they're the heroes for In this day and age, who could ask for more? The crime wave is high with muggings mysterious All police and detectives are furious Because they can't find the source yeah, awesome. And great, like, Brooklyn accents on those The rappers it just, Yeah, it fe- I don't know, it feels so cool Just like East Coast flavor But, um, yeah, that's that's the movie And it's I think a lot of people have the same kind of reaction. I think you're kind of hinting at Matthew, which is like, oh, is, this is it? This is an independent movie, but like really kind of as we've, I think, tried to chart with like some of the production and just behind the scenes stuff. It's like, yeah, it's like this is not something that any of the major studios believed in at all, even just to like put their name on and, and help distribute it, you know, mm-hmm. um, so if you had all these major studios backing out of distribution, yeah, they they did not want to throw any money in the actual production of it. Shot in North Carolina. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. We've got some folks shipped over from Hong Kong. Um, and, you know, it's it's a kind of this renegade project, but uh, it really has a hell of a lot of heart to it. Um, actually has something to say about family, like you guys have been saying. Um, some super strong filmmaking and performance and... Yeah, I'm just so grateful that we have this movie. Um, you know, huge soft spot for Turtles 2, kind of kind of as we've said. But um, there's kind of this sensation when you watch Turtles 2 where you're like, oh, yeah, this is the 1990s. Like, in some ways, if I could put one movie into a time capsule of, like, what is the feeling of, like, cool 1990s attitude as, like, <laughs> as approved by, like, kind of cor- your corporate overlords or whatever, like... Yeah, the movie has that feel, like for good and for for ill. Um, but there's just something that just doesn't feel f- fussed with about this movie. That's like super special, and you got to say like yeah, super rare. Yeah, and you think of yeah, if this could have shifted a little bit. I mean, what if it was more of a Hong Kong side production? I do, I don't think it would have landed the way that it did. <laughs> you almost think of like, what if Wong Jing did the Ninja Turtles oh, film? Oh, <laughs> Imagine what that was like. But um, uh, that guy Be Tom Gray, horny. Yeah, Tom Gray <laughs> that I had mentioned with Golden Harvest. He, he, yeah, there's a quote. He said, "I said, wait a minute." This is nothing more than four Chinese stuntmen from our studio in Hong Kong in rubber suits. We can knock this off in Hong Kong for a couple million bucks and sell it to the Japanese and away we go. So you can like <laughs> see how we're, like this could have oh really gosh, ended amazing. up in so many different mm-hmm. ways. And I think uh, just the fact that it was so Western and so Eastern and the influences for the Turtles themselves also come from all of these connections 
really landed in such a distinct way that yeah I, i'm super super thankful for for it i mean as a kid this was like it man this was so cool yeah it's 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 neat watching it now because i like i said before i'd watched it you know a little bit ago um but I, I didn't watch it as a kid and it's neat that it really is just it's a you know it's a cool movie it's it's pretty it i will say if you're coming from the outside and it's the, the suits take a minute to get used to because they are weird oh, like it that. is yeah. it is weird seeing like l- you know cartoon characters brought to life so literally mm-hmm. um but like they really are done well and like like a lot of jim Henson stuff it's like can be a little weird looking at first but then by the end of it you 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 know you love it so yeah and the suits change too in the second film that i think their faces look a lot more cartoony like the eyes look yeah. a bit brighter and they each and dude if you're gonna watch the third film br- <laughs> brace yourself a little bit because I, yeah. I just started it up and i had forgotten just how 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 much the suits had changed yeah. yet yeah. again and not and not the, really for the better and the third movie is also a very bright there's a lot more bright yep. daytime shots and stuff and that kind of uh that does not work to the strength of the uh turtle suits. Yeah. So. And you could totally understand that thing like whoever is following the other films think they could easily say, like, oh, look at how grimy and like grainy. It's like, let's have sharper Yeah. Yeah, like more like brightly lit environments and let's get some nicer film stock and stuff. Like but yeah, it really ends up working working against it i think i was telling you though that i did hear that lao garlong worked on that film in some respects so i feel like i do need to see that his credit is something like martial arts advisor or something like that which i'm assuming is probably the choreographer yeah um, because we just you know don't really have a standardized credit you say choreographer there's like there's kind of like one real fight in turtles three there's like a couple of other like Fun, like there's some fun action sequences, but like when it's like actual fight fights, there's like one or two. Oh, okay. um, and they're really they're pretty cool. Like they're probably the best parts of the movie. Mm. Um, that and one of the it's not a spoiler. It's a thirty year old movie. Yeah, um, it's fine. <laughs> the the whole the reason that they get transported back in time is like this ancient Japanese like artifact, mm-hmm. and whenever someone goes back in time, another person has to come back to the present. Like, I they do swap remember places. that. It's like a swap. Yeah. And I, the, the, the jokes of like Casey Jones trying to like wrangle these, these Japanese guys discovering modern day life and stuff's pretty funny. <laughs> there, there, <laughs> yeah. There's, there's some pretty funny jokes with that. I'll, I'll give them credit for that. <laughs> nice. But yeah, but yeah, this movie's this movie's super fun and I'm glad that we have a, Finally, kind of having a, an excuse to talk about it and dump all of the Ninja Turtles info y'all got for, uh, yeah. for this. And you had pizza. Didn't you eat some pizza? I did. Yeah, I had some pizza beforehand. I had a big, uh, got a, I got, it's funny. It's it's just me and my wife and uh, I got, we got a large pizza and the thing, was gi- it was gigantic. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I mean, I knew it was big, but geez. Um mm. Well, I haven't eaten dinner yet, but tonight I dine on turtle soup. Ooh, oh, delicious. <laughs> he, he does not say that in this movie. So. No, he doesn't. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for checking out our show here. If you enjoyed it, then you can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're at Heroes the Number 3 Podcast on all three of them. 
if you have any, if you have any Ninja Turtles stories or, or whatever you want to share with us, then shoot us an email. We're uh, heroes, the number three podcast at gmail.com. So next week, we're going to be continuing our look at Hong Kong in Hollywood. And Carlos, what is our training for that? Yeah, we're traveling through the 90s um, a little ways further and a, a kind of a different take, but also something really fun that happened. Uh, John Woo, we, we talked about him quite a bit, and uh, I think we're going to be talking about Face Off, which is <laughs> a really insane time. <laughs> John Travolta, Nicolas Cage on Heroes 3. Yeah, we're yeah. talking about it's these more guys. likely than you'd expect. <laughs> Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about this movie. One of my favorites, and actually one of my wife's favorites. Movie, her one oh, of her favorite fun. movies too. Yeah. So. Oh, dude, awesome. Yeah, that's gonna be great. Right. Well, until next week, we're taking a look at Face Off. I'm Matthew. I'm Marty. I'm Carlos. We are the Heroes Three. Remember your training. <laughs>